The reading today is from Colossians 2, and uh, we will read two passages, uh, one from Colossians 2, verses 6 to 10a, and the second one from Colossians 2, verses 16 to 23. They can be um, found on page uh, 1183 uh, of the Pew Bibles. So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. See to it that no one take you, takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. For in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form, and in Christ you have been brought to fullness. Verse 16. Therefore do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink, or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. Do not let anyone who delights in false humility and the worship of angels disqualify you. Such a person also goes into great detail about what they have seen. They are puffed up with idle notions by their unspiritual mind. They have lost connection with the head from whom the whole body, supported and held together by its ligaments and sinews, grows as God causes it to grow. Since you died with Christ to the elemental spiritual forces of this world, why, as though you still belong to the world, do you submit to its rules? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. These rules, which have to do with, the th with things that are all destined to perish with use, are based on merely human commands and teachings. Such regulations indeed have an appearance of wisdom, with their self-imposed worship, their false humility, and their harsh treatment of the body, but they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. Thanks very much, Annette. Um, please do keep your Bibles open there, because we'll be looking back at that. Um, and thanks for praying, David. Let's start with a story. Once upon a time, there was a dog a brown, fluffy dog. And this dog had in its mouth the biggest, juiciest bone you could possibly imagine. A kind butcher had given this amazing bone to the dog. And the dog carried the bone between its teeth to the riverside, where it planned to settle down and dig into this big, juicy bone. But before it did, it looked into the river. And what did it see looking back at it but another dog with the biggest, juiciest bone he'd ever seen clenched in its jaws. And he thought, that looks amazing. I want that. So what did the dog do? It opened its mouth and snapped at the bone in the water. And of course, it was snapping at its own reflection and didn't get anything. And having opened its mouth, the big, juicy bone fell into the river with a splash and left the dog with nothing. Now, that's just a story, a story about losing something amazing because you didn't know what you had. And the attractive alternative ended up being hollow 
and deceptive. But through this passage, God wants to stop you and I from making the same kind of mistake. Uh, it's a real warning, not about a big, juicy bone. It's a serious warning about a real danger that we could be drawn to something attractive but hollow and end up losing the treasure that we had all along. It's a serious warning, and it's about swapping Jesus for religion. That's what this passage is about, about getting religious. And as, I, as soon as I say that, you might be thinking, but isn't that the point of being a Christian? Isn't the point of Christianity about getting religious? Well, it's easy to think that, looking around today. But um, that isn't the point of Christianity. Christianity is not about getting religious. It's about a relationship. Here's what I mean. This letter from Paul to the Colossians was written about 60 AD, and I'd like us to imagine a conversation happening back then. Two people meet on the high street of Colossae. Greetings, Daviticus. Hey, Nicholas. You growing a beard? I like it. <laughs> Thanks, that's really kind of it. It's yeah, a bit more effort, but it could get there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, 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 I'm just giving it a go. Um, Daviticus, it's good to see you. How, how are things? Oh, th things are all right. I've been down at the, the park. My stupid dog jumped in the water trying to get a bone. <laughs> Idiot animal. But it's all right. It's a sunny day. We were out enjoying a picnic, so, so that was a great time. Great. Lovely to hear. Um, Daviticus, someone told me you're a Christian. Have you heard that? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I, I've become a Christian. Okay. Well, I was just wondering, Daviticus, you Christians, where's your temple? Our temple? Yeah. Oh, uh, no, we, we don't have a temple. You don't have a temple? No, no, no. Well, well, then where do your priests gather to do their thing? Our priests, yeah, no, we, we don't have a temple. We don't have priests either. No priests? No. <laughs> who, who offers your sacrifices? Yeah, I, we don't offer sacrifices like that. No, we don't have those sacrifices. No sacrifices either. No, no. Well, what about festivals and feasts and rites and rituals and enlightenment and secret knowledge and holy places and holy times and holy shrines and statues and relics and robes? You know, what about all that stuff? You've got a lot going on in your head there, haven't you? <laughs> There's lots of things there. Yeah, no, we, as Christians, we, we don't really have any of those things now. <laughs> you don't have, well, what do you have? I'll tell you what we do have. And it's great that the thing that we do have as Christians is, is Jesus, Jesus Christ, God's own son. And the thing we found is in him, we have, we have everything. He's given us new life and forgiveness. He's the one that guarantees victory over evil. And because of him, we don't need any of that kind of religious stuff anymore. We've got him, and we have fullness in him, and he is brilliant. Hmm. Interesting. Well, thanks, Daviticus. See you, Nicholas. <laughs> See you. I'll press on with the beard. Um... <laughs> See, Christianity is not about religious stuff. It's about a relationship with Jesus. That's what we saw last week, if you were here, um, in verse 6 of chapter 2. Scott was, was doing this with us. So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in Him, trusting Him, all of life centered on Him. Because if I can put this reverently, Jesus is the biggest, juiciest bone there is. 
You'd be crazy not to continue with him. And that's why religion is so dangerous. Because if we have a relationship with Jesus, then to add some religious stuff on top of him or instead of him would be like that dog snapping at its reflection, going after something empty and hollow and risking losing the treasure we already have. So this morning, the point is very simple. Don't get religious. That's what we're told in verse 8. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy. And we'll see how Paul expands on that warning from verse 16. Before we do that, though, as I've reflected on this passage, um, I felt this is a warning that I and we need to hear. Last Sunday, we heard about the fullness we have in Christ, that if we're Christians, we are spiritually complete. But if you're anything like me, you feel like, I don't feel spiritually complete. I feel like I'm lacking in all sorts of ways. I struggle with doubt. I feel spiritually flat lots of the time. I struggle with sin and temptation every day. There's lots of stuff that I'm missing. And religion offers to fix that for us, to fill up what we feel is lacking in our spiritual lives. Do you feel like you're missing something? Well, here's what you need. We could find that pretty attractive, couldn't we? And so as we look at this passage and the ways people could get religious, we might be tempted to think about other Christians and other churches and how they've got things wrong and we haven't. Well, let's not do that. Let's let God's Word speak to us and ask, how could we get religious? How have we gotten religious? You know, what here am I, are we most likely to fall into? And that'll be really good for us. So here's where we're going. Three ways that we could get religious, and then three pointers for us as a church. Um, here's the first way Paul says we might get religious. By observing special diets and special days. Uh, just look back with me at verse 16. Therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink, or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. What's that talking about? It's talking about Old Testament religion. All through the Old Testament, God's people observed this kind of thing, special diets. Some food was clean, some food was unclean. Special days, annual festivals, monthly new moon feasts, uh, weekly Sabbath days. And along with them, a, a whole system of, of ceremonies to do and rituals to perform and special places to go to. Now, you can see why Christians might be convinced this kind of thing is sensible. For a start, they're right there in the Old Testament. And you want to take your Bible seriously, don't you? Another thing, um, all religions have stuff like this. And there must therefore be some wisdom to this kind of thing, mustn't there? And how about this? Does your spiritual life feel a bit fuzzy, a bit vague? 
Do you want a bit more reality, more substance, something solid and real? Well, here it is. Except that's not how Paul describes these Old Testament religious things, is it? Verse 17, they are shadows. It's Jesus who is the solid reality. So imagine this morning that we're just about to meet the world's greatest baker. They're, uh, they're waiting down there in that stairwell right now. And uh, by some miracle of light, imagine that their shadow is being cast on the walls behind me. And um, as we wait for them to arrive, you can tell quite a lot about them from their shadow. You can tell that they have curly hair and that they're five foot tall and that they're holding two frying pans in their hands and can simultaneously flip two pancakes at the same time. You can tell quite a lot from a shadow. But then the drum roll happens and they step on up and wow us with their baking skills and no one's looking at their shadow anymore because the real thing has arrived. Well, Old Testament religion with its special diets and special days was to Jesus as a shadow to the real thing. He is the point of all of them. And they help us if they help us understand him, how he is, for example, the true Sabbath who brings lasting rest to his people, or how Jesus makes us clean inside like the special diets looked forward to, or how he's the true temple who gives us God's presence, the true sacrifice who brings full forgiveness, and on and on. And every Old Testament shadow is fulfilled in him. And if we have him, then we have everything they pointed to, all we need. But if we find ourselves focusing on Old Testament religion itself, bypassing Jesus, maybe making up Christian versions of these things, then Paul would say we risk losing touch with reality and slipping into the shadows. Well, that's the first way we might get religious. Here's a second, through angel worship. Um, let's look back at verse 18. Do not let anyone who delights in false humility and the worship of angels disqualify you. Such a person also goes into great detail about what they've seen. They are puffed up with idle notions by their unspiritual mind. They have lost connection with the head, from whom the whole body, supported and held together by its ligaments and sinews, grows as God causes it to grow. Well, the worship of angels, what's, what's that getting at? Could be a couple of things. It could be uh, people worshiping angels, which sounds strange, but you can imagine someone saying this, look, God is so far beyond us and infinitely holy. Do you really think that you and I can come to him directly? No, of course not. We need middlemen to bridge the gap between us and God. And that's where angels come in. They're in heaven. They're holy. They can get us connected to him. That's the way to get connected. Focus on angels. Well, you get the idea. And it sounds plausible. God is infinitely beyond us. He is holy. 
And in Cambridge on a Sunday like this, you wouldn't have to go far to find people in a church praying to angels, praying to saints even, to get them a connection with God. But what if God has given us a perfect middleman between us and him? Someone who is at the same time human like us, but in him dwells all the fullness of deity. What about him? What about Jesus to get us connected? Has the focus shifted from him and shifted to worshiping other things? Well, the worship of angels could mean that. Uh, It could also mean this, worshiping like the angels. Imagine someone saying this, do you feel disconnected from God in worship? Do you long for greater intimacy with him? Do you want to experience the presence of God up close? Have visions of heaven itself? See and hear God directly? Well, I've experienced that. And if I can say this humbly, you can too. Let me tell you how to get connected. And they tell you. Now, I trust we can feel the attraction of that. Maybe we're dissatisfied with our experience of worship, and we long for more. We want to experience a deeper connection with God, and this person says they can give it to us. But though they promise to get us more connected, what does verse 19 say? They have lost connection with the head, with Christ. Isn't that sobering? This person could genuinely think that they're experiencing the kind of worship angels do, that they're having visions of heaven itself, great supernatural experiences, and they're nowhere spiritually, disconnected. And I wonder if this could maybe be the reason why. Because for this person, the experience of worship has come to matter more to them than the one they're worshiping. You know, they would say they're worshiping Christ, but really they're chasing an experience. Now, don't mishear me. Uh, It is absolutely right to want to worship with passion, to feel intimacy with Christ in worship. We should want to be moved when we worship him. But it is possible for worship to go from being about Christ to being about me and my experience. A bit like this, I remember... um, hearing someone say that their, their favorite thing about a new romantic relationship was that feeling of being in love. And they loved getting into new relationships for that feeling. And the problem with that is that if, if you're chasing a feeling, an experience, then the other person doesn't really matter, do they? They're just a means to an end. It's not about them. It's about you and your experience. And we need to avoid doing a similar thing with worship. Because in the end, what makes Christian worship special isn't the experiences we have and the feelings we feel. You could get those in lots of other ways. The unique thing about Christian worship is who we're worshiping, Jesus. It's connection with him that counts. And if we have him, then spiritually speaking, Paul would say we are in heaven already whatever our felt closeness to God, we have all we need, no extras required on top of him. Well, here's a final way that we might get religious. 
by following strict rules for self-denial. Let's look at verse 20. Since you died with Christ to the elemental spiritual forces of this world, why, as though you still belong to the world, do you submit to its rules? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. These rules would have to do with things that are all destined to perish with use or based on merely human commands and teachings. Such regulations indeed have an appearance of wisdom with their self-imposed worship, their false humility, and their harsh treatment of the body, but they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. What's that talking about? Well, it's talking about man-made rules. Rules like, don't get married because sex is dirty. The really keen Christians stay single, don't you know? Don't go to the cinema or wear nice clothes or go on nice holidays or play football. Don't have a TV. Don't drink alcohol. Don't put milk in your tea. Don't get a haircut. Don't eat chocolate during Lent. And on and on, you could potentially go. And if we ask Paul's question, why submit to those rules? You can see why Christians might. Because God does call us to self-denial. There are lots of do-nots in the Bible that are good for us to follow, and we must take them seriously. Well, what if we went the extra mile, denied ourselves things that God doesn't require us to deny? Surely he'd be more pleased with us. Surely that's how to be spiritually advanced. Surely that's how to avoid compromise with the world like so many other Christians, how to stay pure. And what about the fight with sin? Surely the way to avoid indulging ourselves is to be harsh with ourselves, to be strict, that sin I can't seem to make progress with. Well, maybe I'll punish myself to learn a lesson. Maybe I'll hit myself or have someone else hit me to be holy. Well, such rules might have an appearance of wisdom, but Paul assures us they cannot deliver what they offer. They are useless in restraining sensual indulgence. See, it is possible to pour our energy into strictly regulating our exteriors. When a problem is much deeper, it's, it's our hearts. And a list of rules can't do anything about that. But Jesus can. And if we are joined to him, if we've died with him, in Paul's words, then he is changing us from the inside out. And we'll see next week that we're not meant to waste our time focusing on these rules when God wants us to have our focus on Christ and the new life that we now have in him. That's how real change comes about. So I wonder, which of those three do you think you're most likely to fall into or have fallen into? Old Testament-type religion with its special diets and special days Worship where the focus has shifted from Christ, submitting to harsh man-made rules for self-denial. Well, whatever it is, getting religious offers us more, more substance, more connection, more holiness, but it delivers the opposite, like the dog and his bone. 
So don't get religious. Because if we have Christ, then we really do have everything we need. Continue with him. Well, um, I am running out of time again, but as we finish, what does this mean for our life as a church? Three quick pointers. Here's the first one. Let's not judge or be judged. Maybe you noticed that in verse 16 and verse 18, that's, uh, that's the application. Don't let others judge you, disqualify you. See, um, this is what Paul is saying. Don't let others who do these things make you feel guilty or like you're not a proper Christian or that you don't belong at church because you don't. And the judgment of others can exert a very powerful pressure on us to join in. But the question isn't, what do other people expect of us? The question is, what does Christ expect of us? When I look at his word, the Bible, does he expect me to observe these things? Does he expect me to have these experiences? Does he expect me to follow these rules? And if he doesn't, then don't let others judge you. And conversely, if you've decided that it's wise for you to uh, abstain from some particular thing that God doesn't require all Christians to abstain from, or to follow some discipline or observe some special days, then that's fine as far as it goes. But we mustn't require other Christians to join us in that. And if God has given you a special supernatural experience, then thank him for that gift. But we mustn't give other Christians the impression that they really should have that too. Let's not judge or be judged. Second pointer, let's grow together. As Christians, we want to pursue spiritual growth, don't we? And we could look for it in, in different places, maybe going off on my own or uh, through some special spiritual leader or by forming some kind of um, special group within church, uh, an inner ring for the truly committed. That's the way to spiritual growth. And if you can relate to any of that, then I think verse 19 is helpful. How does real spiritual growth happen? By being connected to Christ the head, from whom the whole body, joined together, grows as God causes it to grow. God gives growth to Christ's whole body. That's all Christians, not a special subset. And joined together, not off on our own, not through some leader who leaves the body and draws others after them, not through some special clique within church. We grow as a body together. And when you look around church today, or think about your small group maybe, um, you might realize we're quite a, an ordinary bunch of bog-standard Christians. But God gives growth to his church. As we love and serve and speak to one another, God gives growth. So let's grow together. And final pointer, let's be thankful. Maybe you've noticed the most repeated command in this letter is thankfulness. That's striking, isn't it? Because not only is it right to be thankful to God, but it's protective. If we're not grateful to God for the fullness we have in Christ, then we're vulnerable 
to the empty offers of getting religious, wanting more. But if you and I are thankful for the fullness we have in Jesus, then we'll be safe from that stuff. And that's a good place to finish. Religion says you need more. Christianity says be thankful. Because if we have Jesus, then we have everything we need. Well, um, in a moment, David is going to lead us into the Lord's Supper, but um, let's have a moment now to reflect and pray.